Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome everybody. You've tuned in to episode number 231 of Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NA4RD. That's right. And we represent the most terrific podcast on the internet. And uh, this one is a couple of days late, but we did get around to it. So I guess we will just kind of crank on. And the first thing we'll talk about is the fact that our schedule is probably going to be a little bit weird for the next couple of weeks because somebody had too many airline miles and decided to spend some time in Europe. Somebody that's also right. has an anniversary to celebrate. <laughs> uh. Yes, that's true. That's true. My wife and I are celebrating our 20th anniversary. Actually, it was uh, uh, last year. <laughs> but uh, we uh, we planned this trip, and uh, so we're finally getting around to taking it. Uh, we had to wait till school was over because you know she's a professor and stuff like that. So. So yeah, I'm sitting down in uh, in Florida right now at my in-laws' house, getting ready to drop off the grandkids. Well, at least one of the grandkids, and uh, and yeah, then my wife and I are heading off to Europe land for the next two weeks. All right, sounds good. And Bill has built-in crickets in his audio tonight, so everything yes. he says is automatically boring. Yeah. Wow. So you, you can't make it any worse than what I'm already producing here. I'm uh, sitting in the backyard here uh, in the porch, so I don't have any bugs. It's a nice pool. It's dark as uh, all heck. The only thing lighting me up is a, a nice little solar rope light and a uh, and my laptop screen. And you can probably hear the bird. There's a bird over here. <laughs> making noise but uh yeah so we'll just uh we'll have to just slide on into it and forget about uh where i'm at all right then we will just press on and we will do our short version show this week and our first segment is amateur radio and our first topic in the amateur radio segment is that free dv the 700d has been released uh last weekend um, FreeDV GUI 1.3 was released, which includes the new 700D mode. Uh, Bill's been working on this for a little bit. I have not had a chance to try out the new FreeDV, but you know anything new with FreeDV is really cool. Um, and it looks like over a thousand hours of lab time was required to develop this new mode uh, over the last year. So a lot of work has been put into this. Uh, a lot of work has been put into FreeDV in general. Uh, we've talked to Dave and um, other folks in the FreeDV world in the past, so great to see that there's uh, new stuff coming out in the FreeDV world, and uh, they're already using Codec 2 in the uh, Flex Radio platform. That's something we talked about last time, so uh, yeah, cool absolutely. new stuff from these guys. And they were saying that if you look at some of the, the shots on the, the, the site that we link here, which is uh, just their blog post, um, they're having some really good success with uh, with the discernibility of uh, that digital signal over top of regular sideband. 
So I think we're kind of reaching that point where, uh, where we're finding, uh, one is, uh, slightly edging out the other, if not surviving at the same uh, level of signal as the other. So it's it's kind of an interesting time in the development of the uh, FreeDV uh, and the Codec 2, um, mainly the Codec 2, obviously. <laughs> That's excellent. So now you can get on FreeDV and drown out all the lids. Exactly. And it takes up, you know, half the space, which is great. <laughs> all right. Very cool. I mean, I love this. Um, I've, I've tried to study some of the theory behind this uh, narrow bandwidth audio thing, and it's pretty mind-bending, actually, uh, that these guys understand, you know, audio compression and uh, speech rec- or speech technology the way they do. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is amazing. All right, so let's see. Can Cheryl read this next one, or did you billify all of these? Uh, this one might be billified. Let me read this one. <laughs> Cheryl's so, also uh, working on something else. Oh, right okay. Now, so. so I guess we'll bill. <laughs> okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll just move on. We'll trudge through it. Okay, so uh, this next one is also a free DV um, uh, uh, topic. This is a free DV QSO finder. This is something that I found was new to me. Uh, if you've messed around with free DV a little bit, which I, I have, and I know Russ has quite a bit, you notice that there, it's a bit more complicated in coordinating a QSO. Um, there's agreed on frequencies, uh, but that doesn't really have to limit you. And uh, besides the normal channels on Freenode, like we use for our chat room and stuff like that, they have a, a chat room just for free DV. And that's uh, at uh, Octothorpe Free DV. So you can go there. But I found out there's another application called this QSO Finder. And uh, this is a web app. And it's basically QSO.FreeDV.org. You log into it. And you can select which frequency you're on. And you can actually coordinate uh, your operation right there on the web app. And uh, it looks like it works uh, pretty good. I saw quite a few people in there when uh, when I logged into it just yesterday just to kind of take a look at it and stuff like that before I jumped on a plane. Um, but yeah, check it out if you're into free TV, but you haven't had a success really hooking up with a QSO. Uh, I would suggest, you know, getting on here and even getting into the chat room. If you're already joining us in our chat room, it's just slash join, uh, pound, uh, free TV. So it should be pretty easy for you to do that. And you can go ahead and coordinate that, uh, that content next contact using free TV and codec too. I have mentioned the QSO finder on a couple of previous episodes, and there was one where I mentioned that I was having a problem with it because something had apparently broken inside the web app, but it looks like they've got it taken care of, and I just logged in there, and there's four people on there, and uh, apparently it's working. There's also a, there's like a Zulu Papa uh, call in there right now, so if uh, somebody's listening to this and wants to make a free DB contact to wherever that is, uh, <laughs> you should probably jump in there. All right. So Absolutely. Moving on from that, uh, Bill, I guess you can uh, talk to us about the Ubit X. Yeah, the Ubit X has uh, been a, a popular platform, and we just got a note from uh, in the uh, in the mailing list there from uh, Ashar Faran that the uh, HF Signals has rolled out the version two or version four of the new PCBs. And the big changes are a new low distortion audio amplifier made uh, with discrete transistors was added. Uh, this is optimized for headphone use and connecting to, to uh, PCs for digital mode. So it looks like an improvement there in the audio channel. Uh, the audio thump during uh, transmit and receive has been fixed as well. So you probably noticed that if you've had it hooked to your signal link. And at uh, 28 megahertz, so that's on uh, 10 meters, the output is about 4 watts. So it looks like that's been uh, improving as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they have some new, uh, new, uh, diagrams and everything else out. This has also increased the price a little bit. If you have not gotten into the Ubitex craze, uh, the new boards are $129 and they will ship with a DHL option for $139. 
but for a rig that does all of this at uh, QRP power is is not bad, and it's a it looks like a pretty fun kit to build. And I see a lot of people doing uh, some interesting things with the uh, with the cases, whether they're stuffing them in a, like a Pelican box or actually putting them in a uh, in a metal case. Uh, you can see lots of examples out there, and uh, we 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 linked in the show notes to the mailing list. But you can just you know Google uh, the the UBITX, and you will find all kinds of people out there messing around with this platform. You know, at the cost point it's at, you know, anybody can get into HF radio pretty uh, pretty handily. And uh, this is not a hard kit for at all for anybody to build. All right, very cool. And uh, just in case anybody's wondering, the the U in UBIT is actually uh, the mu, the micro character micro bit x yeah yeah (laughs) micro bit x (laughs) so very cool it sounds like a cool platform i might have to take a look at that it's it's really a nice uh, small form factor pcb and everything so pretty cool for uh hf for not much especially if you like qrping yeah absolutely and should have no problem QRPing, <laughs> even in the low, even in the low cycle. That's that's what I run at home, and I I've, I've never had a never been not been able to work somebody I could hear. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so cool. We'll move on to our open source topics for tonight, and the first one is the price of open source, which turns out, according to I'm going to try and not billify this one, <laughs> um, seven point five billion dollars. So it's not actually the cost of open source, but uh, as the comment goes here, it's what uh, Microsoft has agreed to buy GitHub for, which is that's a whole lot of money. So. Uh, the question is is then raised, is this going to put a bunch of uh, sour taste in the mouth of developers uh, because GitHub is now owned or soon to be owned by Microsoft? Or is the new generation of developers a bunch of morons that don't care about things like this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I love your yeah. comment at the bottom about how the acquisition of Skype didn't cause any bloat or performance issues or anything. Uh, no, we have not seen any problems right. with that or with LinkedIn or anything else like that. In sarcasm um, tag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there has been uh, you know a plethora of new uh, hashtags out there in the Twitterverse. Uh, including, you know, moving to GitLab and, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, it, it, there does appear to be some sort of backlash and I, I've heard, you know, I wrote all this stuff last week when it was just, you know, coming out actually that over the weekend it was coming out and, uh, and of course, there's been a lot of people that have covered this topic and, and it's, it's all pretty much the same thing. You know, it's, it's people aren't sure about it. They don't know what's going on. You know, Microsoft, I mean, we've talked about it in the past. They are the largest committer and largest code base on GitHub. So truly it is no big surprise. <laughs> right. You know, they use this themselves. So this is a product that they use and, you know, it fits finally in their product line, even if they don't do anything to it. But we know they can't keep their hands off stuff. So who knows what really will happen. All we can do is, you know, guess and make fun of it, I guess, until it happens. I did see a nice infographic, which I should find. Not really infographic, like a cartoon of all the all the deaths, like Microsoft's the Grim Reaper and all these product lines uh, have these like blood stains in front of it. <laughs> and the, the last door he's sitting there is GitHub you know? <laughs> and it hasn't been bloodied yet. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, expect a lot of fun to be had with this uh, topic for a while. I, I really don't anticipate Microsoft doing anything completely evil with it uh but you know, expect there to be a lot of uh a lot of uh 
people leaving the platform for others like GitLab and uh, Gitea and a bunch of other uh, self-hosted uh, options that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, it will happen. But this is what goes on when you have a corporation that has tens of billions of dollars in its pocket that it can do whatever it wants with. So, um, But since it is actually adding something to its platform that it already uses, it makes sense from a corporate standpoint, I'm sure. It's just <laughs> the open source community is doing a lot of hand flailing at the moment. I can I can just I can see it. <laughs> yeah. It's as like, far as Reserve reported, it was an all stock deal. So there was no cash, actually. Ah, Interesting. All right, so moving on, we'll do a quick little flash topic here, and that's that uh, Linus has announced that kernel version 4.17 has been released. Uh, the release comes a couple of months after the final release candidate, and uh, Linus also talks about version 5.0 of the Linux kernel. So that's interesting. There's a link to the beta news article in the show notes, so if you want to read the whole thing and uh, everything that Linux had, not Linux, Linus had to say about uh the new kernel you can check that out uh, i'm still like like debian even the latest debian not uh bleeding edge one is only on like four six or something so yeah 417 is kind of right out there um but yeah don't, expect, don't put, expect it to be in solace tomorrow <laughs> what is it about the uh odd numbered kernel versions though i thought they didn't put those out there i thought those were like dev branches uh, i'm not sure because I can't answer that. Yeah, I there was there was something I remembered from like the past days because it didn't go from two to three; it went from two to four, and three was kind of like the I don't know. It was like the offline part of the kernel, and so I would figure that they would develop in five and release six, but maybe they don't do that anymore. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I could have swear I saw with uh, when I had Solus, I had four fifteen on there, four thirteen or something like that at one point. Oh, yeah, I'm sure Arch so. and Gentoo and all those have, you know, the real latest ones. So, I, I mean, the kernel development at this point is largely, you know, mitigating things like Spectre and stuff like that and also putting in device support. So, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of huge changes. Did you actually uh, check the change log on? I did not. I did not. They did have a list of committers and a bunch of other stuff, and it was uh, quite quite extensive. <laughs> right. But, you know, commits can be like a change in a letter. So, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah, it could be a document documentation change, too. It's right. simple stuff like that. But, yeah, check it out. Uh, again, it's a flash topic, so we don't really want to dive too deeply into it. Right. So we can move on to a huge topic all over the world, the GDPR. So uh, I'm going to let you just go ahead and uh, talk about the GDPR. This is something I imagine we'll be talking about for some time, but hit it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in my never ending obsession with diving into Reddit and uh, GitHub, I guess, well, maybe not GitHub so much anymore, but <laughs> we'll see. Uh, here's an interesting thread on the impacts of the GDPR for uh, FOSS, you know, free and open source software. And the, the one that it was really a, it was kind of like a self article from somebody. Um, and he kind of pointed out a lot of different things that he thought that could be interpreted as uh, issues for FOSS. But the one that really hit home with me was the requirements to extend to developer personal systems. So many developers do their work on their personal systems or professional system they own, including hardware, using crash dumps, viewing log files with personal information, accessing telemetry, etc. This makes developers personally lie. Okay, this is this person's opinion. So this is not like, you know, in the law. But this you could interpret the law. This is one interpretation of it. Uh, the, this makes the developers personally liable to comply. For example, 
developers are legally liable for the security of their personal systems under the GDPR. They must notify users within 72 hours if either their personal systems were, were to be compromised, stolen, or if backups, external storage devices have come in contact with personal data that were to be stolen or misplaced. Developers also may have to review their physical development environment as well, ensuring that family and friends and others outside their project cannot see their personal information. So this would be like sharing your laptop or sharing your device with the same profile. Let's say your kids use it for uh, school projects, ABC uh, mouse or one of those stupid things. Um, you know, this would be all kind of, you know, contingent or, or, or possible. Um, project must be established a data checkout and accounting system that account for who is handling the data so that if a subject deletion request is received, it must be completed on the developer systems as well. So, uh, it does open up quite a bit of, uh, a can of worms the deeper you dive into the possible you know whole playground or environment in which the gdpr affects and i think this is kind of one of those things where they put out a law and there's some you know high level interpretation of it but as we move forward and we have to apply this to things that really probably weren't thought about or specifically outlined these things can become problematic for developers, not just FOSS, but any developer that, that really deals with any kind of data that is maybe not mocked, but maybe a copy of production data. And you just happen to have it on your system because you're, you're doing that kind of level of, uh, of debugging and stuff like that. So it's something to think about if you uh, have shared systems or you have uh, weak security at home. At some point, the law could be interpreted that your personal system needs to be protected in a manner in which you really don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> so it was definitely food for thought. When I got to that part, I was kind of like, oh, this one actually hits home. You know, the rest of it's kind of, eh, you know, there's, there's kind of, you know, suggestions and, you know, it's slightly subjective, you know, reading of the interpretation and, and, you know, they're saying, oh, you know, if you have a bug list or something like that and somebody, you know, sends in a bug and they want their data removed, now you have to remove the existence of that person on the bug. And I kind of thought that stuff was maybe a bit extreme. And, you know, I don't, I don't see that ever making its way through court. I mean, this was <laughs> a bug report, seriously. <laughs> But, uh, you know, yeah, I could definitely see, like, you know, data that you probably shouldn't have locally stored is stored locally for, you know, ease of use, you know, especially if you move around a lot and you don't have, uh, you know, uh, ability to tunnel into your, your system and you just keep a set of data locally. You know, you have to kind of think about it. That data needs to be protected in the same way in which it's protected on the server. So food for thought, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And as I said, I'm sure we're going to be revisiting the <laughs> this, the GPDR. Um, GR, GPR, <laughs> GDPR, yeah, GPR, G, let's see, get those uh, acronyms correct. Yeah, the GDPR, General Data Protection, Protection something. Oh, so, yeah, so, um, something. yeah, but there are far reaching, like worldwide yeah. consequences to yeah. the GDPR. So, I'm sure all of these little nuances are going to be ferreted out over the next, you know, few months. And uh, we'll hear about all these crazy little things that it's going to touch. It's amazing how high level you know, legislation made by people who are probably not technical can really screw with uh, uh, all manner of things. So, 
Uh, but we'll see how that works out. I mean, this is supposed to be, you know, kind of a EU only thing, but it's really going to go way further than that. So, oh, yeah. I mean, if you haven't seen your inbox lately <laughs> of every single company telling you to please review your privacy and the options that they've changed on it, uh, you know, it is happening right now. People are making changes, even though it might not necessarily affect you. You know, you're in the US, but they might have customers that are in the EU and they have to protect their uh, product for that. So uh, that's why you've been getting all those emails from all these various, you know, providers and stuff like that, you know, notifying you that their private, your privacy rules have changed. Yep, absolutely. I got one from Peter about HamQTH and how he was responding and changing his code in response to the GDPR. So, yep, it's touching everything. All right. So let's move on to Linux in the Ham Shack. And this segment's a little bit light this week, but that's okay. We can uh, we can adjust for that. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, the new FreeDV and the new LHS V1 of Ubuntu that uh, Bill rolled up for us before Hamvention. And if you want to use the latest version of FreeDV, here's how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the non-preferred way is the way I did it to start with, uh, which is basically grab the debs from the unstable Debian repo and install libcodec2 and FreeDV off of it because I could not find a PPA for it. Um, secondly, you could compile it. That's always an option. You can always compile, you know, libcodec2 and FreeDV. Um, but then if a package comes along, you have to kind of bring that out and then 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 put your uh, deb in if you want to maintain it through a deb and stuff like that. But I have not yet seen anyone to have a PPA for FreeDV. Kamal Mustafa used to have uh, FreeDV on there, but that was such an early version and has not been maintained. Much like when we talked to Steve, we talked about, you know, you know him knowing uh, Kamal personally and stuff like that. And he said somebody else, uh, I think David Freeze was taking over some of that stuff, but I have yet to see uh, where the latest updates are going to be held and who's going to be responsible for it. So I think like right now is a great time if you're interested in FreeDV and and interested in uh, in the repositories uh, is to basically uh, maybe do a build uh, of uh, – of the of these four people, and the only two that you actually need are the lib codec two and and freedv. So uh, it would be quite easy. <laughs> it's just somebody with time <laughs> needs to go out and build the packages so everybody else can get them, and you can easily get on there and get a launchpad account. I even have a launchpad account, and you can publish uh, your own PBAs and help everybody else out that doesn't want to do it the unstable Debian Sid way. <laughs> All right, very but, good. Oh, no, there's more. Well, those did those yeah, I was just saying those did install just fine. You can download them. We have the links in the show notes. Uh and those are the only two debs that you actually need are the are the codec 2 and the free DV. And I would just uninstall the free DV that you already have um with the uh, you know, apt uh, apt remove and get rid of the uh Get rid of free DV that's on there, and then you'll you'll be fine. It came up fine, ran fine, and it worked fine. I didn't really make any contacts on it because I was on my uh, on my computer in the basement, but not on the uh, Hamshack computer. But uh, yeah, give that a try. All right, very cool. And our final topic, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been talking about, you know, for quite a few episodes now, which is uh, software defined radio. And instead of the $2,000 and up flex radio systems that we <laughs> talked about last time, we're going to talk about under $50 type stuff now. That's right. Yeah, I went and I bought one of those. We were at uh, Hamvention and I was, I was looking for 
in one of the cheap RTL SDL SDR dongles that have the uh, the HF in it as well. So, you know, maybe not terribly sensitive HF, but they do. Uh, you can use them for HF. So I, I couldn't find one there just running around. And uh, I said, well, screw it. I'll just order one on Amazon. Uh, so I ordered one of the new uh, version threes from uh, RTL-SDR.com guys. And package came in, little antenna, everything else. And uh, plugged it in. And it worked. You know, I already tested it with the RTL-SDR stuff that's already uh, already in the uh, Ham Radio Pure Blend on our LHS build. But I wanted to get the uh, the latest GQRX so I could play around with that because I've heard such good things from you about that. And uh, so I included here in our show notes as well how to get the latest PPA for GQRX SDR, which will give you all of that stuff. And uh, that was super easy to install. And as soon as I brought it up, it came up and it worked right away. And I could hear FM radio. Then I flipped it over to the uh, to the HF side and I could hear um, the local AM broadcast stuff. Um, I didn't try getting to HF itself, you know, in between there because of the antenna is like kind of this little crummy thing. And it has like a, you know, uh, a two foot, uh, <laughs> a two foot coax. So I knew I wasn't going to hear anything in my basement besides, uh, you know, AM and FM. But uh, that that all did work, and I said, "Hey, I wonder if I could set up Open Web RDX or Open Web RX." And this is that uh, software that you can see featured on uh, the uh, SDR, the web SDRs over on uh, what SDR.hu, I believe, is the uh, the web address. Um, so I installed, I downloaded the Open Web RX, and uh, the only thing I had to build extra for it was the uh, CSDR library, which is also on GitHub, which I also linked here. And that was a simple just make and make install once I uh, cloned the uh, GitHub repository. And then uh, OpenWebRx ran beautifully, although you do have to run it with the Python 2 interpreter. So make sure you actually type in Python 2 if you're on uh, the LHS v1 system, because I believe the default is uh, Python 3. And it will not run with Python 3, and it will tell you that right away. So there's, like, no surprise whatsoever. Um, but that worked as well. It uh, it didn't slide around beyond uh, the bandwidth that I had set, so I'm not sure quite how to get the configurations and stuff like that. So I'm going to come back and revisit both of these uh, software tools, and I hope to uh, even maybe, like, do a, a quick little video, too, on, on kind of getting it set up and then running through the configuration file and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, right out of the box, it all it all kind of worked. So, and I had had good success using both tools. And the the Open Web RX is really cool because, of course, you can put that online and then people can control it. Um, uh, but obviously, with these little twenty five dollar dongles, there's a, a much smaller uh, capability of of slices that you can actually pull out for people to use. Don't expect to don't expect to pull up uh, zero through thirty megahertz and hand it over to anybody that logs into your server. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, for 25 bucks, uh, it was, it definitely provided a little bit of fun and experience in messing around with some of these tools. And I'm going to try to get a little bit more experience in messing around with it and possibly, like I say, do some videos and, uh, and, and go into some more detail on it. And who knows, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you buy something a little bit better if, uh, if everything kind of works, um, it works without, you know, much hitches. Uh, yeah, I might, might look at buying one of the little bit better ones and seeing what kind of performance I can get out of it, putting it on a real antenna and stuff like that. All right. That's very cool. Actually, when I got my art at TLSDR a while back, I bought one of those, uh, what is it, SCM? Is that what the connector is? Something like that. It's some ridiculously small connector, but I bought uh, yeah. the, the adapter between that and SO239 so I could just plug it into any 
you know, normal antenna. And, you know, that always works good, especially if you're going to do some HF stuff and you don't want to hear these, you know, 100,000 watt broadcast stations. So, um, you need something a little more refined and a little, uh, you know, four inch tall thing they send with it generally doesn't work very well. So, yeah, a little SMA connector is a Steve. SMA, that's it. Yes. SCM, SMA, something like that. But yeah, there we go. SMA. All right. (laughs) A little something. So, all right. So that is episode number 231, or at least most of it. Now we can bring Cheryl into the mix here. So, Uh, wait. All right. What have you been doing? Shopping? Yeah. Why? (laughs) As if I didn't know. (laughs) All right. I have to spend your money somewhere. So So it's uh, the social media roundup, and uh, we'll let you handle it. All right. Great. So this time for Patreons, we have John Spriggs, Steve Saner, Donald Gover, Robert Pitts, Paul Griffith, Jonas Rulo, John Zaruba Jr., Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Chris Beggio, and Darren King. <clears throat> Excuse me. For subscriptions, we have Steve Hepler, Jeff Zimmerman, Michael Jopling, Steve Nichols, Todd Bowers, Thor Wiegman, Stephen Harp, Charlie Brown. Kevin Murray, Wayne Carpenter, Doug Redder, Bill Piotr, Dylan Engel, John Clark, Michael Aello, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ike, Robert Yerke, Michael Conley, and Jeremy Hall. For Facebook, we have W. Jeremy Dunlap, Brian Hemis, Tony Coberly, Fred Cole, Coffee Atipo, Russell Zahner, Harold Greener, Greiner, and Norm Sinclair on Google Plus. We have Walter Getchell on Twitter. Ooh, we have a long list today. At Jace3GT, at Far From Kentucky, at Waterford Ham, at Mike ATV, at Ben Von Handorf, at KZ9G underscore, at Jeremy Gilchrist4, um, Ayal Gusso, at Dan W77352779. At BNC PhD, at Ran Arachid Hatchy, uh, at Sconklin One, uh, at one one seven seven six EC, at Chris underscore Simstick, at Amlan underscore C, at Ymank Three, at Ke Zero LJA, and at KG Five ZPB YouTube. Uh, Fred Cole, Uncle Art, and Ken Hendrickson. Mailing list was Misha LeBlanc and Russell Ferris. And merchandise sales was Arthur Jones. All right. Very cool. Now, let's see. There was a couple of mistakes in there. You skipped Alan Wilson, so we don't want to make sure, want to make sure that he actually got mentioned. Um, we did have some new folks sign up. The, the two there at the top, Steve Hepler and Jeff Zimmerman. So thank you. Welcome to the fold, along with all the other folks on this list um and uh the one that you so nicely read is skonklin one <laughs> uh that's steve yeah, conklin, conklin yeah. one right that's ai4qr the guy <laughs> we talked to last week so thanks Sorry. steve for joining on twitter over there and uh, mentioning us actually several times on twitter and our interview with you all over at flex radio so very cool all right i think we're down to the end we'll take a quick run over to the chat room see who's in there we've got steve kb0ijp we've got dave kb0owd uh we have ohm's law in the chat room the whole law is actually in the chat room uh who else do we have in there i saw um nate cubicle nate future boy i think they're the same people 
<laughs> same person uh login earlier but i think that may have been uh, an automated <laughs> kind of thing so is there anybody else see anybody else but this is a thursday that we're actually recording this on so it's not our uh usual thing let's see not our, normal, right, day. Not our normal day <laughs> and i didn't know Ohm's law was name was ted Ooh, another time <laughs> so yep i think or i don't know if it's the ted. same ted because i don't i don't know if i recognize <laughs> that connection so it might might be the same ted who knows i don't know if ted's gonna tell if he's ted or not but we're not going to sit around here and wait for him to tell us. So anyway, that has been episode number two hundred and thirty. Oh, it's the same Ted. Uh, right. you you're so disappointed. <laughs> yeah, I am disappointed. I was hoping we had someone new, but I guess the same old Ted is fine. So Ted W A zero E I R, also apparently known as Ohm's Law, in the chat room. All right, very good. So uh, we're going to say goodbye from episode number two hundred and thirty-one. Uh, for now, and we'll be back in a couple of days with episode number 232, so make sure to tune in for that, and that's where we talk about hedonism and drinking and all that kind of good stuff, so uh, we'll catch you around for that time. So, for Linux in the Ham Shack in episode number 231, I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out.
Linux in the Ham Shack in the Linux in the Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. It's 4.0 International License.